Bibles to um, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 16. That'll be page 1116, 1116 in your pew Bible. We'll start with that. This brief reading just helps to set up what we are about to talk about. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, once again, we find ourselves doing a little bit of word study on this second to last uh, fruit of the Spirit. And today, we're looking at faithfulness. And faithfulness is uh, a very big theme for the Apostle Paul. It's all over all of his writings, most notably in Romans and Galatians. And in your notes, there are references to all of those. But what, what we're trying to get at, what Paul wants us to get at is, is that in every relationship with God that works, it works because of faith. Our faith, but also God's faith. God's faith in us, and then our returning of faith to God. And, and the irony and, and, and sort of uh, weird contradiction in what we just read from Romans is that you have to put a little faith in God and then watch what happens after you do that because he increases your faith and increases it and increases it until it turns into works of righteousness. But so it starts with God's faith in you to be worthy of salvation. And then it goes to being a matter of your faith, which is a sort of leap of faith. So we'll talk about that here momentarily. But the, the idea of fruit in this conversation we've been having, I would, I would like to take that and drill down to what it looks like. Literally, if you've grown fruit in your own yard or you've been to orchards or you've been to places where fruit grows, you know that a fruit starts as a small bud. And why, what I would like you to think of is, is that your leap of faith is that bud of faithfulness, that little, that little bud that has no clear indication of what kind of fruit it's gonna become, but it's pretty. Buds are beautiful, aren't they? they? They inspire us in the springtime and they give us hope about things to come. And, and so they're very pretty, but they're undeveloped. And then eventually the fruit begins to emerge from where the bud was. And the fruit starts out as something small and hard and bitter tasting, right? And eventually the fruit gets larger and depending on the type of fruit, it grows a thick skin or a thin skin and eventually it ripens until it's very sweet and very colorful and very desirable. So when we think about the fruit of the spirit, let's think about it in those terms because I feel very sure that that's exactly what Paul means for us to imagine. It's a agrarian culture that he came from. And so it was very natural for people in those days to relate to everything in those terms. 
And so in the same way, we can do that. And we can think about these various things that are described as fruit of the Spirit, beginning with our act of faith, which is a beautiful little bud that has all kinds of potential, but how it's going to turn out is yet to be seen. And then as we mature in the faith, it, it goes from being, you know, a small representation of what it will become that is hard and bitter and then eventually turns into something beautiful and delectable. Right now, I'd invite you to think about your favorite fruit, whatever that is, mangoes, oranges, peaches, apples, whatever you think of, you think about it now. So with this faithfulness, I have found in the study of the word, the etymology, that, that it's a difficult one to drill down to because from its English translation backward to its original uh, Greek written language that Paul would have used to the older uh, sort of historically ancient Hebrew language interpretation, it has multiple meanings. So it's not a word that can be divine, defined in a particular way. If you drill down hard enough, it's meant the way it's written to, be, to have multiple meanings. And this is why I went into this whole thing about the development of the fruit, because I thought, okay, if ever there's a word on our list that we've been singing about and talking about over the weeks, this is a word that definitely depends on where that fruit is in the ripening process. And I'll help you understand what I'm getting at as we go along. But the first thing I would ask you to do is understand that faithfulness then is a spiritual gift that starts out as a bud as a little act of faith, that, that it's you saying, I believe. I don't understand it, but I believe. And in that way, faithfulness, as it's described in scripture here, is a fruit that isn't unlike the faithfulness you have when you get on an elevator or the back of an airplane. You're just trusting that it works and that you're gonna be okay. And I don't invite anybody to overthink the next time they get in an elevator, but you know, there's a lot that could go wrong. I'm not gonna talk about airplanes because I have an excellent pilot sitting in front of me and I know that he's gonna make sure nothing ever goes wrong. Just the same, it takes a lot of faith to sit in the back because you just assume that the guys up front know what they're doing and that everything is perfectly tuned and it's gonna be okay. So this is what the fruit of faithfulness looks like in its earliest stage. It's about like that. You're saying, you know, God, I think that I believe that you're in control of everything because I'd rather not believe anything else. I think that you want me to be in heaven with you when I die. I think you actually want me to be with you for all eternity. And so that's the bud of faithfulness. It it's, means that in the beginning. But then as time passes and as your faith grows, it ripens into something far more delicious, far more beneficial. It even has within it seeds to reproduce faith and faithfulness. And it really is a faithfulness that reproduces through witness or through the demonstration 
of this fruit in you. And so no matter how many ways I examine the words, this time I can't give you a definitive meaning because the meaning is variable depending on the degree of maturity of the fruit in you. I hope that makes sense. The word that we do get from the Greek is a word called pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it is a word that sort of describes both a very fundamental level of faith, but also kind of a reckless dedication. You know, so as you grow in faith and your faithfulness matures as a spiritual fruit in you, you become more recklessly devoted to Christ. Now, I think reading the scriptures and reading church history has demonstrated that that fruit has definitely expressed itself that way in countless millions of people. And we just happen to know about a few thousand of them over the years who have left a testimony so profound we still remember it. It turns into a reckless devotion. So where do you see yourself on that spectrum what stage is the fruit of faithfulness in you? Do you find yourself at the bud stage where you're just trusting God, but that's about as far as it goes? Are you a hard, bitter fruit uh, of faithfulness that, that you're experiencing in your life where you're kind of True, you, you believe it's all true and you believe to the extent that you keep coming back for more, but it just doesn't seem to ripen. It doesn't seem to change into a bright color and a soft, mushy, delicious fruit, right? Let me put it to you this way and then I'm gonna give you an analogy or, or a little parable of my own. Um, it's a little bit like you're rooting through your attic or some storage space in your basement or your closet or whatever. Have you ever had this experience? Because I have. And, and you're, you're digging around looking for something else and you stumble across a gift that you never opened. I don't know why it's up there. Maybe somebody put it up there for you and they forgot they put it there. And then you found it with a tag on it. It's got your name. <laughs> and you open this gift and lo and behold, it's for you and it's delightful. I mean, maybe you just stumble across something that you forgot you had. And now it gives you joy to see it again. And now you want to use it. This is literally what the Lord would have you think about these spiritual fruit uh, stories that we've been telling throughout the weeks is that you've been given these gifts. And the question is, what are you doing with them? Are you doing anything at all with them? Or are you just putting them on a shelf somewhere and forgetting about them. And I want to ask you honestly, if you had carefully prepared a gift for someone and then found out that they put it away and forgot about it, how would you feel? How could the Lord be feeling right now about your fruitfulness, in particular with this gift of faithfulness? Now, let me see if I can drive this home. This is either going to be a wonderful analogy or it's going to be terrible. And it just might have to do with how you feel about dogs. So here's my parable. I might be featured in the story. I suspect my family will recognize me in this story. So there was a man who went to the local dog pound, the animal shelter. 
And he's walking through the kennels and he's looking sympathetically at all the dogs in the kennels and some of them are angry and mad, uh, ready to bite. Some of them are sad and just curled up in the back of the kennel. Some of them are giddy and excited and, and, and they're jumping up and down saying, take me, take me. But he walks past all of those and he goes to an outdoor pen where there are several dogs pacing around and some of them, of course, just gush all over him the minute he gets there and, and others are just indifferent and don't want anything to do with him. But the one he came to see, a German shepherd, is sitting in a corner watching very intelligently everything that's going on and, and the animal trainer there says, she doesn't trust men. And so the guy gets down on his knees and he looks at her and calls her by name and she waits for a couple of seconds and finally just sort of creeps over, ears down, tail between her hind legs and, and she leans into him a little bit and then eventually starts licking his hands that he's holding out open to her. And then her ears pop up and her tail starts to wag and then she does the German Shepherd equivalent of a hug just hugs. And the man calls his wife and says, honey, I've met a younger woman and I'm bringing her home to live with me. <laughs> and the wife says, good. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. The dog goes home to this man's house and finds that he's created a bed for her right in the middle of the living room where they all hang out as a family. He's prepared her favorite food. He's made sure that she's got fresh water all the time. And these are things she'd never experienced before because she hadn't been taken care of very well and that's why she landed in the pound. And, and she was invited to sit on the furniture with the man. She was invited to be a member of the family. And over time, her faith in the man grew from a simple act of trust to a deep devotion. So much so that her shepherding instinct had caused her to be utterly and completely devoted to caring for the man's flock, for his sheep, and heaven help the person that threatens them. This is an entire devotion that grew out of a fearful moment of faith, a leap of faith. And her leap of faith was rewarded by love and acceptance, membership in the family, equal right to everything that goes with the household and the family. And everyone loves her because the man loves her. The one who saved her loves her. And everyone who loves the one who saved her also loves her. It's an analogy. It doesn't perfectly describe the relationship we have with God. But maybe it's close enough that you can see what I see, which is how every day my dog, which is the one I'm telling you about, is my representation of how much love can change everything and how it all starts with the master. 
and it works its way down. You know, for a while, the dog was living in a kind of hell, and then the dog went to a kind of purgatory where it was hard to tell whether she was going to live or die or what kind of circumstances she was going to live in. But because of the love of the master and her momentary act of faith, she's living in a great place now, and she's having a great life. And it reminds me every day that this is what our Lord has done for us. And this is the best way I know how to describe to you what I think faithfulness looks like as a spiritual fruit. It starts with trust when everything's at risk and there's every possibility that this isn't going to work out, but you put a little bit of faith in God and then he rewards that faith and saves you. Prepares a place for you in his own house. Jesus said that. He prepares a place for you in his own house. And Jesus says, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm telling you, he has a place for you in his house. And when you come to live with him, you will be loved unconditionally. But what he wants in return, though he doesn't demand it, is the full ripened expression of the fruit of faithfulness, which is a fierce devotion to the master. A loving devotion to the master that is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Want to hear something funny? When I get home later, that dog is going to jump all over me, lick me and love me like I've been gone for a year. And she just saw me an hour or two ago. <laughs> That's devotion. Can any of us say that we have that kind of devotion to our Lord? And why not? You know, I, I, you know, obviously I love dogs, but I love all kinds of animals. But, but dogs, I think God gave us. Domestic dogs, I think, were given to us to teach us. I really think God meant for us to learn from them. Because, you know, there's an old prayer that I often pray, which is, Lord, please make me the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Right? Because if I was that kind of person, I'd be all right. You know? And, and maybe that's why the Lord gives us these animals that love us so unconditionally and are so radically devoted to us, is it's a simple way that most of us experience in most of our homes, or at least at other people's homes. It's a simple way that God demonstrates to us the level of devotion that he desires from us. You know, it's not quid pro quo. It's I love you, Lord, and I just can't help it. And everything I do is, is built out of devotion to you. And it's easy for me to forget about myself because I'm so busy loving you and giving you all that I have to give. And it's amazing how you can put aside so many petty things when you're that crazy about your Lord. It's really amazing how that happens. And when you do that, it's so reciprocal that only those of us who have dared to live it can tell you what it means. But the thing is, is that what we do blesses the Lord as much as it blesses us, that it's a mutual blessing. We think about that sometimes when we're worshiping, but do we think about it the rest of our lives? Dear Lord, when I wake up today, I want to begin my day with the goal of blessing you. 
Did you know the Lord doesn't need your blessings, but he sure enjoys them? So I'd like you to join me as we finish up today's message in a shared expression. We'll skip the the, uh, creed today, and instead let's read out loud together Psalm 103, which begins with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Would you say these words with me as our statement of faith today? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice For all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As father shows compassion to his children, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting, to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.